A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Dairy Gold Agribusiness. For quality feed, expert service and support you can trust. Welcome to our programme. I'm John O'Connor. Coming up, Nori Norahali, Chagas Gophus in Canturk, on ensuring safe use of pesticides. Hannah Quinn Mulligan, news correspondent, Irish Farmers Journal, on her several articles in this week's journal on the Climate Change Advisory Council call to slash the suckler herd. Skull show taking place tomorrow, Sunday, 28th. Preview with Michael Collins. Our top story, the ICMSA National President, Pat McCormack, on the right of dairy farmers producing beef to share in the BEAM Fund, otherwise known as the Brexit Fund. Pat, welcome to the programme. Now, it sounds an awful lot of money, €100 million, but in actual fact, each recipient might only be receiving a nominal sum. Could you please outline to our listeners why you feel it's extremely unjust that dairy farmers producing beef wouldn't be eligible for the Brexit Beef Fund, even though it's just a nominal sum? I think it's the principle you feel. Uh, Very much a nominal uh, payment, John. Uh, obviously, you know, the 100 million euros, 50 million euros from the European Union and, and matching funding from the Irish Exchequer uh, to offset the significant losses, to partially offset the significant losses suffered by Irish uh, beef finishers. And I must add, you know, that at this point in time, it looks as if it's only going to be beef finishers, uh, that it won't be down along the, the production line where the, the calf to Wainland and the, the Wainland to Yearland and, and two-year-old, etc., will not be compensated for. But Nonetheless, I suppose it is absolutely imperative that all beef finishers, irrespective of whether they have a dairy enterprise, a tillage enterprise, or any other enterprise on farm, if they're in the game of finishing beef, they need to be compensated. They need to be treated equally and they need to be treated fairly. And that's absolutely imperative. And it's certainly our priority in ICMSA. And, you know, when the Minister met the stakeholders to have a discussion on it, uh, we would have fought tooth and nail at the dairy farmer. And unfortunately, you know, we were the sole vice for the dairy farmer on the day. But we would have fought tooth and nail uh, for the dairy farmer to be included. It's absolutely imperative that the dairy farmer is included. There has never been um, you know, a selection criteria uh, differentiating between one uh, franchise of farming and the other in the past, whether it was uh, the milk hardship schemes and that tillage farmers and beef finishers all, all qualified. And in the same way this time around with the Brexit funding, uh, you know, it's absolutely imperative that they do qualify because there are a lot of guys out there with small to medium-sized holdings and a significant beef enterprise. And for those farmers to be left out or overlooked uh, would be uh, absolutely intolerable for our association's point of view. People like uh, school teachers or school principals or people who are producing beef and uh, selling beef, some of those people who are producing beef, they mightn't even be full-time farmers, I understand they would qualify for a share of this beam, the Brexit Beef Fund. Look, John, they could even be a minister. 
uh, in a government and qualify uh, for this beam fund. But look, you know, I suppose if they're in the game, finishing beef, the very same as the dairy farmer or the tillage farmer, but in particular the dairy farmer on this occasion, if they're in the game and finishing the beef, uh, they should be co- eligible for compensation the same as everybody else. And it should be up to them then to decide for him or her whether they wish to enter the scheme or not. At this point in time, the preliminary document uh, excluded dairy farmers and, you know, we, we have made a very, very strong lobby to Minister Creed and a delegation from the Department of Agriculture there last Tuesday week that they need to redress this situation and they need to bring fairness to this table. For your members who suffered a Brexit-related loss on beef production, any indication that Minister Creed has taken on board what would appear to be your extremely valid and reasonable concerns? Look, you know, I suppose we would hope uh, we made a very strong representation, as I say, and hopefully we made an impression and that dairy farmers, and that all dairy farmers will be eligible, not just the select criteria of dairy farmers as well, that all dairy farmers will be eligible. Look, we'll know in the coming day how good our lobby was. We met Minister Creed Friday afternoon at the opening of a dryer in, in, in Orivo in Bella Hadrian. Uh, and obviously, you know, I said to him, it was quite good to see him with the dairy farmers today and that hopefully he'd do it on every day. And, you know, by that, it was a reminder of exactly what is at stake uh, if dairy farmers are excluded from the bean scheme. We talk about food-wise, 2025, etc., but even in the Climate Advisory Council report regarding climate change, etc., and the call for the slashing of suckler numbers, they say when suckler numbers are slashed, the Climate Advisory Council recommend against that vacuum being filled by the dairy sector. So slashing of suckler cow numbers and the statement there from the Climate Advisory Council, how do you feel about that whole concept of uh, slashing the suckler cow numbers? If we were to listen to other farm organisations, maybe they're, they're very much opposed to it. But the reality of it is we were at the... Uh, the government, the Dáil Committee uh, for Agriculture, addressing beef issues there a number of months ago, and, and those same organisations would have been saying that their members who were actively suckling weren't in a position to maintain uh, 100% of their single farm payment as profits, that they'd be better off without those suckers. So, you know, it's hypocritical of them at this point in time to be opposed to the reduction in suckler numbers. Certainly, I think there needs to be a voluntary scheme brought in that would incentivise the reduction of suckler numbers. Um, obviously, you know, at that stage, there's a significant onus on the, on the dairy herd to produce a beef calf that is efficient in conversion of, of what they eat to produce a kg of beef, uh, a kg of beef that the marketplace would require. And I think, you know, there, there is a significant future there. And I think farmers right across all sectors, dairy, beef uh, and tillage, need to work together because the environment is going to be a huge challenge. And I don't like this uh, us against G attitude that is developing in Irish agriculture. I think we need to be united. There are many, uh, you know, issues confronting us, obviously, in the autumn. Uh, and in, in the very, very soon autumn, we will have the Brexit, you know, and we saw Boris being elected uh, this week. And, you know, that's a huge challenge for Irish agriculture, not just for the beef industry, but the cheddar and various different cheeses and indeed the dairy market as well as the beef market. Uh, you know, then we have climate change and climate Brexit might come and go, but climate is going to be here for decades decades to come and you know we need a united Irish agriculture uh, to face those challenges but we need to face them acutely from a strategic point of view we need to put our our profit making industries uh, at the heart of our industry going forward agriculture and uh, you know for those that will be pulling back there needs to be a significant incentive for them uh, and they may find 
you know, that they can collaborate with other, other sectors of the industry uh, to maximise the economic benefit to rural Ireland and indeed to the farm families of Ireland. Would you be reassured, Pat, to any extent uh, by the quoted comments from uh, Professor John Fitzgerald, Chairperson of the Climate Advisory Council? He said, in fact, when we talk about slashing suckler cow numbers, we are not actually forcing farmers to reduce cattle numbers. We're talking about a concept of natural wastage that they point out that the herd is being reduced, 1.7% annual reduction. Now, you know, on the one hand, we hear about the, the headlines slashing suckler cow numbers, and then you hear the quoted comments from Professor John Fitzgerald. They're not forcing farmers to reduce cattle numbers. They're only talking about what's occurring anyway. Look, John, you hit the nail on the head. I mean, the average age of farmers is, is in the high 50s, and, you know, the dairy farmer will be significantly younger than the average. Um, so the reality of it is that over a period of time, uh, there's going to be, uh, you know, a natural wastage there where they won't have successors. Uh, so it will happen naturally, um, and it will evolve over time. But, you know, we have targets to meet, and I think there needs to be in- incentives put in place for meeting those targets, both from a, a reduction number point of view, but equally from an alternative energies point of view. There are huge infrastructures out there, whether it's beef sheds, sheep sheds, or dairy sheds, that, you know, needs to be utilised uh, with the minimum of... of visual impact and you know we'll be putting that to Minister O'Donoghue in the coming weeks in our pre-budget submission that solar energy can be a critical component in Ireland meeting its targets in the years ahead but in the same way you know whether it is the dairy sector or the beef sector we need to improve the efficiency of the animal that we're breeding uh, whether that's from a dairy point of view increased EDI uh, and milk production we can, you know while numbers may remain I believe reasonably static uh, in the next decade I think we can increase our output significantly through breeding and in the very same way, we can increase our out- output in the beef sector from an efficiency point of view, uh, true breeding as well. Thank you very much indeed, Minister Pat McCormack, ICMSA National President, part of an interview with uh, Pat McCormack for this week's programme. In the midweek edition of the Dairy Gold Farm Talk programme, we'll have more from that interview covering milk price, nitrate derogation, use of low emission equipment for slurry spreading, and also the launch of the renewed TB eradication programme, plus some other subjects. Thank you, John. Miss Noreen O'Reilly, Chagas Canturk, joins us on the farm programme. Noreen, welcome to the programme. Now, the subject of protecting the water supply from pesticides. Yes, John, thank you. Yeah, look, farmers, they're continuously conscious of the environment and the countryside that they work in. I'd like to remind farmers on what would be the best practice when using pesticides um, on their farm. In particular, we'll say these few days, weather is very broken. and We don't know from day to day whether it's going to rain and you know yourself. So people have to be conscious of the weather. So in general, um, water quality, um, pesticides, best application, we must be continuously conscious um, of, of the water and of our environment. Now, what's being done to monitor the water quality and indeed any other aspects of um, pesticides, the impact of pesticides on our water? Because we know in the current very dry or possibly very hot weather sometimes, the water levels are low, oxygen is low for fish and other things. But um, our rivers and streams, what's actually being done by farmers or what can farmers do to limit the impact of pesticides where they occur? 
Yeah, so look, I will be going through there in a few seconds about, we'll say, best practices. But just to make people aware that, um, yeah, the, the rivers and the streams, they're, they're constantly being monitored. They're monitored by Irish Water and the Cork County Council. And there is extra monitoring going on uh, these few months when it is uh, kind of spraying season. Um, but they do monitor right through the year and they monitor um, for pesticides, all different, um, we'll say, I suppose, chemical makeup. So the analyze what chemicals are in the water, have different testing points, and these are published on the County Council or the Irish Water website. Um, so we'll say it is something that is continuously being monitored. And as I say, when it is being monitored, we'd see that their water quality is good. And it's not, we'll say, there isn't a very large occurrence of um, water exceeding limits. So we can take comfort in that, but we must still, we'll say, know what best practice is and, and what to do to prevent any pesticides getting into the water. Chagas monitoring of the agricultural catchments areas, they are monitoring water quality on a very repetitive basis. I think Timaleague is one of the centres one of the centres nationwide where they have an extremely detailed, uh, constant monitoring of water quality. Yeah, now there will say monitoring nutrients, and I suppose the advantage of that is to see, again, we don't want uh, chemicals or nutrients of any kind going into the farm, but also the nutrients that a farmer applies is for crop or grassland um, utilisation or growth. So that would be a waste. So we don't want to waste the nutrients either. Um, so what they're doing in the catchment is actually for mainly for nutrients, phosphorus or nitrogen um, but on this side where they're looking at um, herbicides, um, pesticides they are, we'll say, chemically analysing the, the river okay, so as I say are, I suppose the same as we'll say the nutrients we want we'll say and anybody that applies the uh, pesticide uh, are applying it with the objective of it being spread on the field and it for working on the field and nobody spreads it with the idea of it entering the water body so look farmers are look they, they're working with the environment every day and they are very conscious of it uh, so it's just a quick reminder, basically, of best practices to prevent any accidents or spills or it getting into the water quality in any way. And Noreen, those best practices for farmers listening, I'm sure they probably are doing this already or they know what they should be doing. But in all cases, it's never any harm just to review what the best practices for the application of pesticides would be. Okay, so it even starts back at, at, we'll say, the farmyard. So, like, we must prevent it, we'll say, in, uh, spillages happening in, in the yard or when we're filling the sprayer that, that there is actually no drips or spillage or where it's actually being stored because when it rains, that flows off from the concrete into a drain and then directly into a river. So, again... You must try and prevent any spills, drips, leakages from the farmyard or from the storage area um, and, and when you're filling the sprayer. So that's that's the first step. That's their stage one. And then in the field itself, we need to prevent it entering, we'll say, water courses. And I suppose, look, what are water courses? Water courses are, we'll say, drains, even though they're dry at the moment, in a very bad night's rain, that's full of water. So water courses are field drains, streams, rivers. So we must actually keep well back from them. So when we're spreading it so that there is no spray drift or there's no runoff um, onto into a drain. So, right, how do we do this? So when we're applying it, check the weather. 
Okay, we don't want rain within 48 hours. Okay, there's going to be some bit of drizzle like that be happening at different times, but no heavy rain. No big yellow, uh, red rain alerts, okay? We're used to the colours these days in the weather forecast. So no heavy rain within 48 hours. And then, again, back in the yard, read the label. It says on the label what distance to keep away from water bodies or from from um, main wa uh, water sources like wells or, or public sources of water. So in most cases, it's 10 metres for MCA, MCPA products. It's five metres away from um, water bodies. And then we'll say when you're um, looking at drain, when you're looking at, sorry, wells or a public supply, you're looking at 50 metres. So again, it, it, take into consideration your field. Where is the drain in that field? Where is the water course in that field? Is there a well in that field? With some maybe white stakes, before you go out in the tractor, mark where, just to give you a guide, what would five metres or 10 metres from the, the drain would be and make your line from there. So look at, read the label, what is the product you're applying? Is it correct for what you want to use? So when you're applying for it, when you're going into your supplier, um, your co-op or your your merchant, um, ask for what are you looking to, 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 to spray? Are you spraying off for receding? Are you post-emergence spray? Are you spraying for docks? Are you spraying for rushes? So know what you're what you're looking to spray. Know will it will it is will it do the job? Okay, and then read the label. What are the the buffer zones that you need to keep out from water courses? Okay, um, so look at the the sprayer. Is the sprayer uh, calibrated correctly? Um, are the nozzles working? Um, are they blocked? And then when you're mixing it, um, ensure that you're mixing it correctly. That there's no spills and drips, like I'd said before, and then. When you're actually, we'll say, filling it, you must take into consideration with your water count that you are actually going to rinse the container, the spray container, three times. So take that into consideration. And if you're using a jug or something for, for mixing as well, for extra product, for whatever you're using, make sure that's rinsed three times. And that must be taken into account and spread with it, okay? Uh, if possible, use sprayers that have drift-reducing uh, drift nozzles and keep the boom as low as possible. Um, when you finish the spraying then, clean and wash the sprayer at the end of the day or um, after you've the job done, clean it in the field, away from the concrete, away from a gap, um, away from drains, and spray, spread the, the cleaning of the sprayer then onto the field again, Keeping in mind, again, you're still your margins away from the water bodies um, and spray that um, onto the field that you've previously um, spread, uh, a sprayed, that you've previously done the spraying. So the other thing, and people don't take into account, but when you actually open your spray container and you have the file, that file that's on the top, that's on the, 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 the cover of the um, container, actually contains the pesticide, the herbicide. Don't just dispose of that. Put that aside and then when you're rinsing your container, put your file container into it and triple rinse that file container with the spray with the, the container. Okay? So because people have disposed of that and they've ended up in drains and they've actually contaminated rivers because it takes a smallest amount of 
spray to actually, depending on what it is, but to contaminate rivers, conta contaminate water bodies, okay? the So they're the do's. The don'ts. Don't clean your sprayer at a water body. Don't fill your sprayer at a water body, a drain or a sp or stream, okay? Um, don't spray within 48 hours of very bad weather. Only spray during the growing season. You need the growing season for the plant to take up the spray. So only spray during growing conditions or growing season, which is now. But like later in the autumn, not the growing season reduces. In winter, no. Too early in the spring, no. So it's during the growing season that you would do it. Okay? Don't spray on waterlogged fields or fields that are severely sloping down to a water body. Um, don't just discard the sprayer container. Um, make sure that it is well rinsed, that it is three, time, three times rinsed. I suppose when we say waterlogged fields, often people are looking, there is fields now that they can't travel in the spring, may not be able to travel in the um, autumn time, rushy fields. So the best practice really is to top or mulch your rushes and then a month later when you have new growth, put the spray on that new growth. It is more vigorously take, able to take up the, the spray and your spray will work better. But in this ground, it can be by nature, the rushes are there. It is wetter ground. So don't spray, don't apply spray on waterlogged ground. Um, some people are using MCP and MCP is the main product we'll say for, for rushy ground. Um, but MCPA is not licensed for liquors. So you can't use MCPA on liquors, okay? And the product you can use on liquors is a glyphos glyphosate product. One of them now would be like Roundup. But any glyphosate uh, product um, is licensed for liquors. So that is all that you can actually use on the, 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 the liquors. Um, so... As I say, be careful, like this is your time of year that you can actually spray on the rushy ground, but just watch, I mean, we're after a good bit of rain in the last week or so, and some of that ground now is waterlogged, so just be careful, do not um, spray on, on the, that area, um, but don't just go in on um, years and years of dead material, your best practice would be to top that ground first, and then a month later, to, to, to spray that, okay? So certainly, Noreen, some very important points there. You referred in passing to MCPA. I think that MCPA, that's uh, licensed uh, for specific conditions, but I think that is something which, if uh, applied wrongly, can cause a lot of damage. I understand even a tiny amount of MCPA can be very damaging if it's not, you know, properly used. And the problem with that product also is that it can, I think up to three months, it can actually stay alive on the grass. So we could be spreading it now and then get very bad and, and have it waterlogged in waterlogged area and then have extreme rain in the autumn and that waterlogging then can flow onto the river and that's when the damage. So MCPA is one of the products that is found most often when they're detecting um, pesticides in rivers. And we're at a borderline that if there are too much more high cases of MCPA found in watercourses, 
then there it's it's a product that's going to be taken mm. off the market, which will then limit us on the amount of chemicals we can use to kill rushes. So there's water course issues, but also there is variety of products that we can use for rushes issued down the road. But we buy it to treat the rushes. Miss Noreen O'Reilly, Chagask in Canturk. Thank you very much indeed, Noreen. And we'll have more from Noreen in the midweek edition of the Dairy Gold Farm Talk programme this coming Wednesday evening between 10pm and 11. Thank you, Jack. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze. Relax and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow wherever you are. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is plush care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Drastic measures to more than have the Irish suckler herd have been recommended by the government's Climate Change Advisory Council. Ms Hannaquin Mulligan, news correspondent for the Irish Farmers Journal, in a number of articles in the journal, dated 27th of July 2019, looks at the climate report recommendations. And her own article is the headline story in this week's journal, Slash Suckler Herd. Hannah, welcome to the programme. Now, the background to your article, your main story, Slash Suckler Herd. How serious is this and what's the origin of it? So basically, the Government Climate Change Advisory Council have come up with these proposals to essentially cut the suckler herd by over half a million cows by 2030. So they outline three proposals, uh, cutting the herd by 15%, by 30%, or by uh, 53%. And I suppose just to put that in context in cow numbers, so the 30% cut would be 304,000 cows by 2030, and the 53% cut would be 536,000 cows, so half, over half a million cows by 2030. And what's of great concern then for suckler farmers would be that the chair of the Climate Change Advisory Council, Professor John Fitzgerald, has said that he favours a cut of either 30% or 53% the more severe cuts um, in order to meet climate change targets. We are not forcing farmers to reduce cattle numbers, end of quote, climate chairperson there. So are the farmers getting a kind of conflicting message? The report is just um, proposals at the minute, although they have been welcomed by Minister for Climate Action, Richard Bruton. But the uh, only thing to say there is that 
they think that they're going to put a carrot at the end of the stick, if you like. So what's also been suggested in the report is that farmers could be rewarded in the next common agricultural policy uh, for reducing their numbers. So they could have their suckler herd or reduce their suckler herd numbers, but they'll still maintain their full direct payments. And also of interest there is that they've kind of floated the idea that perhaps they might take a top slice off the payments of more productive or intensive farmers and give them to farmers then who promise to reduce their herd numbers. You know, agriculture in Ireland is the highest emitter of greenhouse gases. I think it accounts for about a third. But, you know, you have to really take that into the wider context. You know, it's also the biggest indigenous industry. You know, we didn't have an industrial revolution like places like England have. You know, the economy has always relied on agriculture as kind of the backbone of the community and the backbone of the economy. And to put it into context, I mean, you've got about 80,000 beef farms in Ireland. And on top of that, then, there's a UCD report that's on out that you know over 50,000 jobs are reliant indirectly on uh, beef farms or kind of the kind of suckler herd as well. So that's predominantly the west and northwest of Ireland there that we're talking about. So if you were talking about reducing the suckler herd, you have to think how are those jobs, those direct jobs, the farmers' jobs, going to be affected, but also those indirect jobs. And you're talking about the vets, you're talking about the marts, you're talking about the local shops that are relying on the farmers to come in and get their messages every week. So you know, it, it, there's a wider picture here. It's not just agriculture that needs to be taken into account. It's transport and it's energy as well. In fact, agriculture guard that and make sure that we strain every single argument to make sure it's retained. Otherwise, the core of Ireland is gone. Yeah, and that's it. And there's no question as well that the beef we produce in Ireland has a much greener carbon footprint than beef that's produced in South American countries. I mean, I will say as well that will be of interest to your listeners in Cork, which is the highest number of dairy cows in Ireland, that the report also says that you know, there's very limited room there for future dairy expansion. So over the last number of years, since the abolition of quotas, we've seen this massive expansion in the dairy herd. But what Professor John Fitzgerald has said is that there is very, very little room there for further dairy expansion. So essentially, he doesn't want to see uh, any more expansion of dairy herd. And even, you know, this idea of, of beef farmers perhaps leave perhaps reducing their herd numbers. You know, he doesn't want to see the land that beef farmers maybe exit from taken over by dairy or taken over by any form of intensive agriculture. He'd much rather see that go into forestry. There's probably a lot of beef farmers out there who see dairy farmers and look, it is one of the most profitable industries in agriculture and a lot of beef farmers over the last couple of years have switched to dairy. So I imagine that they don't want to see that continue to to happen. But, you know, that brings problems of its own because we have to remember that for the last 20 years, we've got farm farm advisory services such as Chagas and you have the government with their food wise and uh, food harvest plans and all that's been driven around expanding herd numbers, whether that's in beef or whether that's in dairy. So it's very confusing now for farmers who've been told to push on, to increase their herd numbers, to increase their efficiency, to um, that, that in turn will increase their profitability, to turn around to them and say, you have to stop now, or in the suckler case, you have to reduce now. And, you know, suggesting something like forestry is very difficult for farmers to accept as well, because we all know there's a massive stigma around going into forestry. Isn't it possible with the climate change, it could become quite drastic in a few years' time, and all those sources of vast global 
food supplies, they might suddenly be unable to produce food on the same scale anymore due to extreme climate change. We should be careful to make sure we retain the means of feeding ourselves and not take as granted being able to rely on supplies of beef from South America or Australia or grain from America, North America. I don't think anyone's denying that climate change is happening. You know, when you look just this week and uh, record temperatures across the continent, um, you, you know, we can see that that, there, that it is happening. I think what farmers are annoyed about, actually, is that they've been scapegoated, uh, you know, every time something comes up in the climate. And uh, it's not just farming. It's every industry that needs to pull up their socks in terms of helping with climate change. And I think everyone was really inspired to see all the young children, you know, take part in, you know, the bad. I don't know if they were playing hooky from school or what, but they were taking a day off and, you know, marching in the streets in Dublin, calling for people to act on climate change. And everyone was really inspired by that. But, you know, it is every industry that needs to pull up their socks. And we saw this week that Borden Amona has their planning for a biomass plant in Offaly uh, turned down. You know, so, you know, where are we going when we can't manage to even transfer from, you know, peat to biomass? You know, it's not just agriculture. It's every industry here that needs to be looked at. Apparently the biomass was to come from Australia. We hadn't been able to generate an alternative uh, industry on those lines in Ireland. The only concrete alternative to suckler farming that they give is forestry. But like I said, there's a stigma attached to forestry. And then there's certain land types that aren't suitable for forestry. Like if you look at the burren, you know, that, that, you can't grow trees on the burren. It's, it's just very simply, that's, that's the way it is. So the other alternatives they recommend are biomass or anaerobic digestion. But I mean, that isn't viable on a large scale in Ireland yet. So I think that's frustrating to farmers to be hammered with one side of it and then on the other side not to be even offered alternative. Sometimes it's forgotten the measures which farmers are taking to promote uh, nature, promote biodiversity. Almost 50,000 farmers are signed up to the GLOSS scheme, which is the environmental scheme that's offered by the department currently. And I think more farmers would sign up to more actions if that was if they were on offer. You know, farmers are keen to help fight climate change. I think in the dairy side of things as well, we're all aware that farmers have had to sign up to a sustainability report that they have to fill out as well with a lot of the co-ops. And I'm quite sure that Dairy Gold is one of them as well. So, you know... The farmers are keen to do their bit and keen to help out, and I think that that needs to be put across. You know, no one is dragging their heels on this, and farmers want to take part and help to fight climate change. But you know, it needs to be recognised that other industries need to do the same. Thank you very much indeed, Miss Hannah Quinn Mulligan, news correspondent, Irish Farmers Journal, and we'll have more from that interview with Hannah Quinn Mulligan in the midweek edition of the Dairy Gold Farm Talk programme this coming Wednesday evening between 10pm and 11pm. Thank you, Hannah, very much indeed. The 2019 Skull Agricultural Show in the west of the county is taking place on tomorrow, Sunday, 28th of July 2019. With more on the show and all the attractions this year, Mr Michael Collins, a member of the show committee, Skull Show. We can guarantee a, a very uh, family-orientated Skull Agricultural Show on tomorrow, Sunday, the 28th um, of, of July, starting at, at 12 o'clock. Um, to make it, it, it's the Skull Agricultural Show is held just west of the village of Skull, uh, the picturesque village of Skull, I suppose, and to make it more accessible for people and more enjoyable for people to see the beauty of the whole area, we have a shuttle bus set up 
um, from Skull Hotel, the Harbour Hotel in Skull, uh, early in the morning. That shuttle bus will continue to take people up and bring people back to their cars as the day progresses. As I did say, John, it's a family show, uh, so we very much, a lot of emphasis this year has gone towards having a lot of events, and ho- I think we're set for a good fine day. So we're going to have the bouncy castle for the children. This an unusual milking cow called Carabella uh, is after making make, is going to make her first appearance, and we're going to give everybody an opportunity to milk the cow. There's going to be pillow fighting, mini tug of war, but besides that, then there's the more serious events like the horse and pony shows. Um, the hugely popular dog show, the indoor exhibits in the marquee, uh, there's the working hunters uh, competition, there's also John, the, the vintage sh- section. All this taking place uh, tomorrow, Sunday, the 28th, starting at 12 o'clock, 28th of July uh, in, in Skull. There's also um, a number of other um, events during the day. There's the best dressed lady and gin competition, there's also the sheep dog trials. The fire brigade are going to be um, uh, there on the day and they're going to do a display of car cutting display, which is hugely popular, you know, and it's a good education for young people to double attend. There's also platform dancing. And we are, again, very, very lucky to have the Skull Country Market, who usually have their country market on a weekly basis downtown, but they're moving up to the Skull Show field. And they have, they're a huge attraction in self food, uh, a wide variety of local food pro- uh, produce available on the day. Uh, the committee, the Skull uh, Agriculture Show Committee, have been working all year um, to try and put together a great show for people, as have other shows. And we've been attending other shows to, to, to teach us, I suppose, the rights and the wrongs of uh, shows. And we've been to Barry Row, we've been to Skibreen Show, and the Clannock Guilty Show, the Bandon Show, the Dunmanway Show, and looking forward, obviously, to the Bantry Show. We've been supporting those all along and, and actually educating ourselves with some of them brilliant shows that have been going on during the year. And we have to respect the people that put so much time and effort, John, into putting forward a show. And that's what we're trying to do is put forward a good family, entertaining show. Um, people know their way to Skull via Bada the Hub. Some will come to Bandon, Clannacilty, uh, Skibbereen, or from the Castletown Bear. Um, Bantry down into Bella the Hobbit into Skull West of Skull it's, a, it's an enjoy, enjoyable trip if nothing else but then as I said to, to, to double that up we're putting, up, putting on a, a shuttle bus so that people will enjoy themselves have a trip up from town into the, into the town park and they, they can leave the car at the bottom of the town they can also drive up if they want to there's parking accessible right beside the field and in some cases for people that are a little infirm in the field there's parking in the field on the day the show is uh, scheduled to start at 12 o'clock and it will finish around 5, but usually there's uh, still maybe working hunters events that take place. And people like in a fine day sitting down watching, but from 12 until 5 o'clock on, on Sunday, the 28th of July, just tomorrow, Sunday, 28th of July, we welcome everybody to Skull Agricultural Show. Thank you very much indeed, Mr. Michael Collins, a member of the show committee of Skull Agricultural Show. Thank you, John. No fewer than 10 Olympic riders, including double gold medalist New Zealander Mark Todd, along with the current world number one, Tim Price, also from New Zealand, will be gathering at Campfire County Waterford for the SEMA Lease Campfire International Horse Trials and Country Fair, Saturday 27th and Sunday 28th of July. Spectators will have the opportunity of watching some of the world's top event riders from 16 different nations as they complete the dressage, cross-country and show-jumping phases of the competition. 
the cross-country phase alone covers almost six kilometres and includes some 40 fences demanding a mix of precision riding over narrow obstacles and brave jumping over enormous solid timbers and into spectacular watercourses. Mr Paul Brady is events director and he also designed the cross-country course. Paul, welcome to the programme. First of all, the location of the Camfar International Horse Trials in Waterford. It's located on the Blackwater River. It's actually where the Blackwater meets the River Bride. We're about five miles from Capoquin, Tallow and Lismore, uh, or perhaps about 20 minutes from Yawl, Yawl Bridge. Uh, so it's in a lovely uh, country setting on the Campfire Estate. This year we're hosting um, a Nations Cup and that is um, there's a Nations Cup series in Europe and we're one of the events hosting it. Now the nation that gets the most points in that series will qualify for the Tokyo Olympics because it's an Olympic sport. Um, Ireland has already qualified but there will be uh, you know, several teams from Italy, Switzerland, Sweden, uh, amongst several others that are coming uh, on that hunt for a place in the Tokyo Olympics. We'll have 16 nations. There are three phases to the eventing. So there's dressage, show jumping and cross country. Saturday the 27th, we have the Nations Cup cross country, which is the four star that's the biggest cross-country course, but there's also cross-country Sunday. And onto the main arena, we will have the show jumping for the Nations Cup. The main arena is surrounded by a lovely tented village with lots of stalls and food stalls, etc. So it's a lovely setting to watch the show jumping. And there'll also be cross-country at other levels. For further details and tickets for the Campfire International Horse Trials, 27th and 28th of July. Further information from www.camphirehorsetrials.com and the location is at P51H5P2. Campfire is located about 10 minutes from Capoquin, this more in Tallow and about 20 minutes from Yall. And that's our programme for this morning. I'm John O'Connor. Thanks to John Foot on Controls. And of course, to you, the listener, for tuning in. Have an enjoyable weekend. Next Agri-Update is due on this coming Wednesday evening between 10pm and 11, directly after the 10 o'clock news. Thanks for listening. Dairy Gold Agri-Business. For quality feed, expert service and support you can trust.